My brothers and sisters, the Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Filled with the Holy Spirit, Jesus returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the desert for 40 days to be tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and when they were over, he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command the stone to become bread. Jesus answered him, it is written, one does not live on bread alone. Then he took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a single instant. The devil said to him, I shall give to you all this power and glory, for it has been handed over to me and I may give it to whomever I wish. All this will be yours if you worship me. Jesus said to him in reply, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him alone shall you serve. Then he led him to Jerusalem, made him stand on the parapet of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command His angels concerning you to guard you, and with their hands they will support you, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to them in reply, It also says, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished every temptation, He departed from him for a time. The Gospel of the Lord. Scenes of troops invading another country that most had relegated to something that we would just see in the movies. The heart-wrenching images of death and destruction from Ukraine. The innocent citizens on both sides of these borders. And the greater worldwide community that sees the, the illusion of how sophisticated and evolved that we had told ourselves that we had become as a society evaporate as we watch this awful situation deteriorate, seemingly incapable of doing anything about it. This after two years of non-stop headlines that kept refreshing with the use of historic and unprecedented and not for anything good. Understandably, the fear and the confusion and the tension from crisis after crisis after crisis has taken a toll on people. And even in this post-Christian and ever-growing secular world that we live in, You don't have to search too hard for people asking, why does God allow such things to happen? What's interesting is the tone that's behind that question, though. Some ask it from a place of unbelief as an accusation against those of us who dare to believe in God. 
But even us as believers who can also be as depressed or scared as anyone else living in this same seemingly spinning out of control world may be a bit tongue-tied in trying to respond to that question or even find ourselves asking it as well. And while I empathize with everyone who's feeling frightened and and powerless as they take in these and countless other disturbing daily headlines, I do find myself feeling a little less tongue-tied, though. Because my first thought when people ask that question, why does God allow, is do they really want to know? Or do they really not know? Because objectively speaking, does this world look like it is in any way honoring the Lord God? Do we have leaders who are demonstrating that they're actively striving for holiness? Do we see countries and communities that are attempting to follow the Lord's commandments? After the obvious answers to those questions are made, even further, the question is, what is their concept and their image of God that so many people are holding on to? Because by the way people talk about him and treat him, it seems like they pin all the awful stuff on him as if he somehow dropped the ball or something, eliminating the actions of all their fellow human beings. It's almost like they see God like this garbage man, like someone that they don't even know his name or anything about him. They just notice that the trash wasn't picked up one week. He didn't do his job, and now we have a mess, and so we complain. And that's not God. And no, I'm not being defensive here and saying all this isn't God's fault, even though it isn't God's fault. That's being truthful. That's not defensive. It's offensive that a world that is constantly turning its back on him does whatever it wants to do, which is played out every day beneath the surface of each tragic headline, and then treating him like he's their cosmic employee that we can gripe about as having failed us. In short, we're living in some grossly arrogant times. Just to be clear, though, none of this is God's divine punishment on the world either. Why does God allow all this we're doing to ourselves? The world should be thankful that this isn't his punishment. The world should be thankful that each of us, each day that we're here, we're still being given the chance to get ourselves right with the Lord God. That God allows us time to hear his voice, that God allows us time to have a stirring in our hearts, to have a conversion of heart, that God allows himself to be vulnerable by allowing us to to utilize the most precious gift of his to be the most abused of his gifts, the gift of freedom. And that's a hard truth. But as people of faith who find ourselves here today, as people of faith becoming a a growing minority in our world of people who don't know God or who have forgotten who he is or, worse yet, hate him, we need to remember hard truths. We need to remember the truth about who God is and who we are if we want a way out of 
every mess, every crisis, every trial. Because it's not really complicated. We have to recognize the enemy that is Satan. We have to reject evil in every one of its forms. And that begins when we utilize this most precious, most abused gifts of freedom ourselves by first and foremost rooting out sin in our own lives. When we gathered just a few days ago to receive ashes on our heads, one of the first words from Scripture came from the Old Testament prophet Joel, whose voice thousands of years later echoed. Even now, says the Lord, return to me with your whole heart, with fasting, with weeping, with mourning. Rend your hearts, not your garments, and return to the Lord your God. This was an invitation to a rebellious people who had tried to go their own way, do their own thing, and they had found war, poverty, abuse, widespread disorder as, well, as a result. Not because God's chosen people caused God to go off in a huff and decided, if you don't do it my way, I'll just make you pay for it. But because he had given them an instruction manual on how to live. His commandments were commands meant for happiness. So when our ancestors had rejected that, they had made a big old mess. But even then, he made a way and called them out of that to return to him. Even now, says the Lord, return to me with your whole heart. We began the season of Lent with those words, those memories becoming alive and are hearing them anew. Because God knows us. He knows that for people to break the cycle of sin, it has to start first in our memories, remembering the truth. And that's what we hear and see in today's scriptures. The first reading from Deuteronomy is such a gift. In six short verses, we get the ultimate cliffs notes of the story of God saving his people and the greatest event for our Jewish ancestors of the Exodus. It recounted the oppression, the bondage that had enslaved his chosen people, how God had called them out of it, and when they responded, how they were freed. And we responded to that by recounting that truth and singing the words of the psalm, Be with me, Lord, when I am in trouble. Those words have been sung not just as wishful thinking or a nominal thought in prayer. Throughout history, they've been sung as a way of summoning up memories of how many times and how many ways God has been with his people and saved them from trouble. But that comes from being in relationship with him. We can only remember those things. We can only be confident in him answering those cries amidst a confusing, oftentimes chaotic and disordered world. When we, as St. Paul wrote to the Romans in that second reading, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God has raised him from the dead. That's our Cliff's Notes of the new exodus that we as Christians celebrate with the passion, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the whole point of Lent and Easter, is our remembering that core central truth 
the only truth that ultimately matters. And that's an invitation as well. We have a choice. God allows us to choose him and to follow him or not. That we're here is a great sign and a good step. We as Catholic Christians profess every week that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Not a way, a truth, a life, as if he's a viable option among many other possibilities, but that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And one of the amazing things for us to remember is his tremendous love for us. God himself sees throughout history how difficult it is for his people to choose him, to choose to follow him or not. How easily distracted and tempted his people were way before we ever had a smartphone. The people of God, after being freed from the Egyptian slavery in the, the Exodus, after the plagues, after the parting of the Red Sea, they were being fed with this manna and this quail as they were being led to the promised land. And what happens? They start complaining. Manna again? Quail again? They would let their restless hearts be corrupted to the point of thinking, maybe we were better off in slavery where we got free fish and cucumbers and onions. Seriously, that was one of their complaints. You can look it up. Old Testament book of Numbers chapter 11. That's why in the fullness of time, God incarnate steps into human history. Jesus is born and lives as one of us so that he is ever more intimately tied as one with us. And in today's gospel, we get another glimpse of the depths that Jesus goes to to show us that, to, to emphasize that point. He goes into the desert and fasts for 40 days. And not our one meatless meal and two smaller meatless meals, not equal to one meal that us Catholics follow on Ash Wednesday and Good Friday. He fasted, meaning nothing, for 40 days so that he could intimately know the depths of hunger. And by then, he's physically weakened. So much so that the devil has the audacity to come and try to tempt him. It's often said that the devil is not creative or unique, which is also true. He tempts Jesus in the very same way he did Eve in the Garden of Eden, in three ways. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life. When Eve was tempted to eat of the fruit, it was said to be good for food, so lust of the flesh, a delight to the eyes, so lust of the eyes, and would result in them being gods themselves, the pride of life. So Jesus is tempted in the exactly same way. Turn these stones into bread and dress that physical hunger, the lust of flesh. And he rejects that knowing our spiritual hungers are more essential. As he says, one does not live on bread alone. And then he's tempted for power and glory, being offered all the kingdoms of the world in a single instant, lust of the eyes. And he rejects that saying, all power and glory belong to the Lord God. And finally, he's tempted to do a miraculous feat that will surely catch people's attention, the pride of life. Rejecting that, saying, 
not to put the Lord your God to the test. The audacity of the devil tempting Jesus is meant to strike us. The devil tries to tempt Jesus, God himself. Is he that dumb? Is he that arrogant? Probably both. When we've embraced sin, we're living a life of evil. We're not rational thinking. And so we recount all this because those exact same temptations are the same ones that the devil continues to present to us. Whether we're the leader of a country or the seemingly most anonymous individual in the world. The devil doesn't think we're too small of a target that he doesn't attempt to come at us with those same temptations and appeal to lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride. He simply wants souls to turn away from God. But the truth is, God loves us even more. Jesus loves us more than the devil hates us. So much so that it's said that if you were the only person alive, Jesus would have died for you. We do this annual campaign of 40 days of Lent to focus on the depths of that truth. As we look at all the things that disturb us in the world as it seems to spin out of control, the things that frighten us even closer to home, we need to remember that truth and not just refresh our brain on some theological knowledge, but to be changed by that truth deep within. As we heard on Ash Wednesday, return to me with your whole heart. And we do that by following Jesus' example of fasting, of prayer, and sacrificial giving. If we want to ask that question, why does God allow? We're best served by asking that more personally. Why does God allow us the time to change, the time to repent, the time to return to him? And the answer, we're going to simply be confounded with the mystery of love, his love for us, a love that continues to make a way for his people that have fallen out of favor, a love that continues to make himself vulnerable to being being hurt by our rejection and our sins, but a love that takes the risk because that's what love does, knowing it is the most powerful force and it's the surefire way to conquer war, hatred, evil, every sin in all of its forms that the devil proposes. Eva conquers death itself.